Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The announcement of the angel to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's Christmas time. I love to preach the Christmas story and all of its applicable truths in our lives. So today I'd like to speak to you on the subject, good news. You may be seated. I know you know this, but the news is big business. And the most marketable news is bad news. News reporters have a saying. It goes like this. If it bleeds, it leads. What that means is if the story is gory, it will sell. And it makes the headlines. And the reason it sells is because we want it. Because we're wired to respond more quickly to the negative. In news reporting, they know that negative superlatives work 30% better to get your attention than positive ones do. Words like murder, slaying, corruption, scandal, violence, epidemic, collapse, serious crisis, Deficit, earthquake in Alaska this week, wildfires in the West in the last months. The average click-through rate on headlines with negative superlatives was a staggering 63% higher than their positive counterparts. There's been an analysis done over the last several decades proving that even for a little time there was a reprieve that news has become news reporting has become more and more negative because bad news sells and we buy it. And while customers crave bad news, it leads us feeling hopeless, pessimistic, and apathetic, and sometimes on compassion overload, we don't think there's anything we can do about it. Far from being better informed, usually we just become miscalibrated and we view the world through the lens of all the negativity that is legitimately around us. In the New Testament, the Bible uses the word gospel. And gospel means good news. Originally, it was the one who carried it, but it literally means good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you would have lived in Jesus' day, there were also some negative headlines. If you could have opened the physical copy of the Jerusalem Post that did not exist back then. He might have read some headlines that were somewhat negative. One would have read like this. Roman governor brutally murders devout Galilean Jews. Jesus spoke of that story in Luke chapter 13. There might have been a headline in the paper that said, 
Tower of Siloam collapses. 18 feared dead. Jesus also referred to that current event in his teaching in Luke 13. If you would have flipped over to the sports section and started reading some of the news there, it might have reported some of the bloody battles in the arenas. Christians against lions or crusaders and gladiators and all those kinds of horrific things that happen sometimes to convicts but also to Christians. If you read the book of Hebrews or you read the book of Fox's book of martyrs, you will find out that martyrdom and suffering persecution was not a fairy tale. But you might have read something like this about this sporting event in the Colosseum later and in those arenas. Lions, 14. Saints, zero. It was a bad day. Of course, that probably would not have been the score this year, but anyway. <clears throat> Literally in that day, it was a very negative world. Slavery was up and human rights were down. Bigotry and prejudice were the rule of the day. Divorce and infidelity was on the rise and marital faithfulness was in decline. Superficial religion and ritual ruled the day and sincere people seemed hard to find. That was the way it was. And then there was a headline that shook the world. It went something like this. Emperor of Rome issues executive order for a worldwide census and taxation. Jews must return to the town of their origin and pay hefty tax. That's what it read, except Luke 2 and 1 says it like this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed, every one, to his own city. This is how Luke opens the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth, but they will need to go to Bethlehem. I'm sure that this news was spread by runners and letters, person to person, city to city, and town to town, but eventually it trickled its way down to every citizen, even the carpenter named Joseph. I imagine Joseph sitting down with Mary, his betrothed wife. Their marriage had not been consummated. She was with child of the Holy Ghost. And I can see Joseph saying to Mary, I know the baby's due any day. Mary, this is going to be a rough journey, but we don't have a choice. This census, this taxation is a decree from the emperor of the entire Roman Empire. We have no choice but to submit. We can't afford a trip like this at this time. We don't have any place to stay. I've lost track with all my relatives there. Mary, I know you're no, in no condition to travel. This baby Jesus is due any day now, but we're just going to have to trust God that we can't change this decree that has come from Caesar Augustus. Mary, she's that submitted soul that I love to preach about so much when she says to the angel of the Lord, be it unto me 
even according to thy word. And so she submits to the decree of the emperor and the directions of her espoused husband. And now they have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's over 90 miles. It will take several days if they're on foot. You wonder, why would God cause Mary and Joseph to go from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem? But there was a scripture in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that spoke of the little town of Bethlehem. That though it was a dinky little town, that out of Bethlehem would come a ruler, and then Micah said, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. It is a messianic prophecy. It is God looking into the future and predicting something that would happen. Now, humanly, we have a problem. Mary and Joseph and soon-to-be-born baby Jesus are in Nazareth. But to God, it is not a problem. Because for the King of kings and Lord of lords to be born where it is prophesied he would be born, God Almighty will move in the head and the heart of the most powerful man in the world. And Caesar Augustus will make a decree that will move Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It is one of the most stunning acts in the Bible to show us that God is sovereign, that God always has a plan and nothing can stop his hand from working. Later, the wise men come to Jerusalem. After all, if you're looking for the birth of a king, you would go to the capital city, so they do. And they inquire of Herod when this king that was to be born king of the Jews would would be born. And Herod gets his scribes, his theologians, his wise men. They open the scrolls of the Old Testament, meaning that they recognize the book of Micah as part of the Old Testament scripture, that canon of the Old Testament. They turn to what we would know as Micah 5 and 2. And they inform King Herod, that provincial king, that this baby is to be born in Bethlehem. That is the reason Herod will stretch forth his hand to kill all the baby boys two years of age and younger in the city of Bethlehem. But that will happen after God leads Mary and Joseph out of Bethlehem and down into Egypt. But I want to make this point about God and his work in your life. You may wonder, how is God going to do what he said he would do? Well, you just let God be God, and you submit to the process, and you just trust him that whatever he has to do to fulfill his plan, he will do. Caesar Augustus is not sitting in his palace saying, how can I make Christmas come true? He's sitting in his palace thinking, how can I get more money from the subjects of my kingdom? Let's have a census. Let's find out how much everyone is worth and let's impose a worldwide tax. And by the way, God is at work in the heart of a pagan king. He always has been. He always will be. He was able to move the heart of Pharaoh in Egypt. He was able to move the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
to allow the release of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. He can move on that same king's heart to release gold from their storage to go back to Jerusalem. That is something a pagan king would never do. But the Bible said that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And just like a river, he turns it whithersoever he would. In Revelation, the Bible said that he is put in the heart of kings to fulfill his will. So no matter what they may do against his kingdom, ultimately God uses it to advance his kingdom. And can I tell you today that no matter what weapon has formed against you, God will turn it back to the one who's trying to destroy you. And whatever Satan would try to conspire to do in your life, Almighty God will turn it to advance his kingdom and for our good. Why don't we worship the Lord right now and remember that God is in control. So Joseph, in the province of Galilee, the city of Nazareth, the carpenter, takes his wife, who is great with child, and they make a difficult journey down to the little town of Bethlehem, the town of David, the city of David. Joseph and Mary both are of the lineage of the house of David. Luke 2 and 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, great with child. Verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the good news of the Christmas story and all of its grandeur and all of its simplicity that God would reduce himself to a single cell to be conceived in the womb of Mary, a virgin, to be born in an obscure backwater town called Bethlehem. But who would know and how would they learn that this young couple just went there, would have this baby boy in the backyard in a barn of the inn. It's time for a birth announcement. Think about what just happened. Virgin conceived, an emperor decreed, wise men are making their trip from the east They've seen his star, and now God needs to tell everyone that he has come to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Who would you tell first? Think about this big announcement. If you were God, you could do anything you want. Maybe you would tell Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Maybe you would tell King Herod, the provincial king. Maybe the religious rulers, the high priest, should be at the top of your list of people to inform. The rich and famous, the successful people of the day, maybe maybe they ought to know first. If it would have been me, I probably would have told the owner of the inn 
so he would have been more cooperative with my son. But no. This announcement would come first to common blue-collar workers called shepherds. Why them? To me, the Lord announces this story. The most significant event in human history of God coming to earth. And you would have to say the cross and resurrection and all of that. But here it is. God has come to earth. And he tells these men about the purpose of his coming. This good news. Now, we don't really understand this in our culture. But then shepherds were unlikely recipients of news like this. They were a despised class of workers like an underclass. They were considered unclean to Jews and unable to observe customary laws and ceremonial purification. They were not like terrible people, but they were just of a very low class of people. They had not been schooled in the law. They were considered to be ignorant of those things that were really important. And here they are out in the countryside keeping watch over their flocks by night in shifts of workers. Some would sleep, some would watch. And all through the night hours of the starry Bethlehem sky, out in the outskirts of this little city, there they are. And suddenly, those who are watching see something that blows their mind. This lonely hillside is illuminated by the brightness of the glory of God. And an angel appears to the shepherds. Luke 2 and 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. I would have been sore afraid. There you are, working out in the middle of nowhere. And there is an angelic visitation to the least likely people to be recipients of this news. Amen. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. This was the same glory that appeared to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees calling him out to walk with God. It was the same glory that appeared in the tabernacle in the wilderness as a cloud by day and a fire by night. It was the same glory that had appeared to Solomon in the temple that he had built that was so dense that the priest could not offer sacrifice to the Lord. This was the same glory that Ezekiel saw departing from the temple in Ezekiel 10 and other chapters in Ezekiel. This was the glory that had not been visible for over 500 years. It had been absent from Israel. But now, to humble shepherds on a hillside, the magnificence of the glory of God is shining down and a word from the Lord is coming to them with this magnificent announcement. The glory of God, not to priests in the temple, but to shepherds in the field. And I... I put this in my notes because as I prepared this message, I thought about the glory of God that appeared to them. And I want to just pause in the middle of this message to say that I long for the glory of God to visit us with the power and the presence of the Lord. 
There are times that the glory of God showed up with a visible light that just illuminated everything that was there. A fire, a cloud. But very often the glory of God appeared with supernatural signs and wonders. And it was tangible in your spirit. You could tell the Bible speaks of the post of the temple moving by the power of God. I can tell you that what we need in the church in 2018 is for the glory of the Lord to appear among us. We need we need the glory of the Lord. Isaiah spoke of a day when the glory of the Lord would be revealed and all flesh will see it together. But then Samuel wrote about the time when the ark was taken into captivity and Phineas's wife was having a baby. She was great with child, felt this baby coming. Her father-in-law, her husband, had been killed in battle and the ark was taken away. And when her son was born, in the bitterness of her own death, she named him Ichabod, which means the glory is departing. There are times when the glory comes and there are times when the glory goes. And when there is sin, when there is ungodliness, when there is a lack of a desire for God, the glory will depart. That's why I say to you today that my prayer is that the glory of the Lord would come to Atlanta West with the power of God, with supernatural signs and wonders, a visitation that would transform us into the people of God that he chooses for us to be. I hunger, I long for the glory of God. And I feel Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages world without end amen the glory of God is shining the shepherds are shaking in their sandals they have just heard the most significant announcement in the history of the world. And they are not sure what to do with all of this. Luke 2 and 10, the angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this, verse 12, will be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. With all this fanfare, there's an angel and then you're going to hear find this baby in a, in a manger swaddling clothes. You would think that an announcement like this was about a baby who would be in a palace somewhere. But the angel said you would find him wrapped in strips of cloth swaddling clothes. The infant wear of the poor. When you looked at a baby who was wrapped in strips of cloth, these swaddling clothes, that little baby would have looked a whole lot like a person who was wrapped for burial in those days. You will find this baby, poor baby, poor family, wrapped up in strips of cloth. They cannot afford the finest cloth or clothing or blankets for a little baby. And then you're going to find this baby lying in a manger. 
Now to us, a manger has been depicted as this nice little wooden box and Christmas musicals and skits and dramas and a little precious baby with a clean blanket is wrapped there. But honestly, ladies and gentlemen, a manger was a slobber-stained feed box where animals came and ate their grain. And it was in the stall of a manure-filled barn. And I make it graphic on purpose to tell you good news sells. No, I say that. Sorry. That just happened. Because God came, God in his highest, came to earth in his lowest. So it doesn't matter that you're not royalty. It doesn't matter that you don't have your act together. It doesn't matter that there's a lot of dirtiness in your life. God came to us in the worst possible environment in the world. He came to us in poverty. He came to us in obscurity. He came to us in misunderstanding. He came to us wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a dirty feed box in a barn. Because there was no room for him. Still that way for many people. No room for him in the end. And as soon as the shepherds heard that announcement, boom, then it went like exponential. One angel turned into thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions. I don't really know. But the Bible said in verse 13 that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. On earth peace, goodwill toward those with whom he's pleased. The one translation says that God is bringing peace to a troubled earth. That's the stories that the shepherds heard about the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. They would later become the first heralds, the first witnesses of the newborn Jesus Christ. Because ladies and gentlemen, when you see him, you will tell everybody about him. If he's not important in your life, you don't take two, you don't share with anyone. But when you know who he is and you've had a revelation of the glory of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, then you know that your mission is to share it everywhere you go. But that's later in the story and I probably won't make it that far. Let's talk about the good news that the angel announced on a chilly, starry Bethlehem night. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Why is this good news? Now, I know you think you know, but why? Why is this good news? Is it good news because God has come to earth? Yes. Is it good news because a virgin has born a child into the world? Yes, good news. But I think the reason that really makes a difference in 2018 are the words that were spoken to Joseph, the betrothed husband of Mary. You see... Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, being a just man, was thinking about this and was minded to put her away privately. He could have 
publicly humiliate her, humiliated her. Probably wasn't done very much, but by the law, she could have been stoned to death if she would have been proven to have been immoral. He's troubled by this. His reputation is on the line with Mary's, who is obviously she's done something that she should not be doing. The Bible said that while he thought on these things, the angel came to Joseph. By the way, it's not a bad thing to think on things before you act in haste. While I was reviewing my notes between services, I thought that'll be a good Wednesday night Bible study sometime, but we'll just do a Sunday night one-minute Bible study. While he thought on these things before he did something dumb. He gave God a chance to speak to him. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary as thy wife. That was just conceived in her as of the Holy Ghost. She's not been with another man, Joseph. This is that thing that Isaiah prophesied about a virgin will conceive. And then the reason for his birth is made known to Joseph in Matthew 1 and 21. And she, and this is what makes it good news. Are you ready? And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's tied to Joshua who led the people into Canaan land. He was a savior of sorts. He saved them out of bondage. But Jesus will save them from their sins. And this is the good news of the Christmas story. Paul said it like this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul would echo this to the Thessalonians when he said, for our gospel came unto you not in word only, in other words, this is not just good news of something that happened far away. But this is good news for you that will bring a power in your life. But it came to you in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. So here is my message today. That good news is not just a story. But good news is life changing power. It is the power of God that will change your life Forever. People are always trying to change. You know what's going to happen in January. Everybody's joining the gym, on a diet, trying to change. It lasts not very long at all. We'll get to that later in about a month. There are well-meaning people that try to help others. And they have programs that amount to behavioral modification. And that's not a bad thing. We all need to change our behavior in some way or another, make it better. But they have to tell people in recovery groups, in group counseling or private counseling, the good news is we're going to teach you lots of discipline. There's going to be some steps. We're going to give you support. We're going to help you stay away from alcohol or drugs or 
other unhealthy behaviors that we would call sinful behaviors. They warn you though, that once an addict, always an addict. You're just one slip away from becoming the person you used to be. You're just one bad experience away, a trigger of depression or hurt from falling back into the patterns of the past. One mistake away from going back to your old self. I'm not criticizing behavioral modification, but if you live by that alone, you're living with this acts of fear hovering over your head for whatever good can be done you're motivated by the fear of not going back but the gospel is not bad news the gospel is good news the gospel doesn't say that you will go back the gospel is the power of God the apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 1 and 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. These words have power. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My message to you today is that the good news isn't just something that comes in your ear or comes in your mind, but it is something that is power that will change you once and for all and forevermore. It is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, if any one, any man is in Christ, you get in Christ by turning from your sins and repentance, being baptized with him in baptism, calling the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit with the new initial evidence or sign of speaking in a language you never learned. You repent, you're baptized in Jesus' name, you receive the Holy Ghost, and when you do, you will speak in other tongues. The Bible calls it the new birth. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But I'm glad for the power of God. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not a reformed person, a new creation. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Paul reaches for a word that describes the change that happens in a person. He doesn't say behavioral modification. He doesn't say repentance. He doesn't say doing your best. He describes a word like a species that has never existed before, that God makes you something that you never wore, were, and you never could be on your own. You are a new creation. All things are passed away. Your old life is dead, buried in the waters of baptism. Your old life is gone. All things are passed away. And behold, all things, all things have become new. If this happened to you, why don't you celebrate the power of the gospel right now? Amen. Please be seated. Oh, God. Our culture 
It's basically that everybody's okay. Just like they are. It's just an alternate lifestyle. It's a choice you make. Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't let whatever's going on in our culture make you think that everybody's okay. I preached about it a couple of weeks ago that in Noah's day, eight souls were saved and the rest of the world drowned in a flood. Don't think that God, because he's merciful, will save people who do not repent. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He will save you if you will come to him on his terms, not your terms. This goes all the way back to the beginning in the Bible when Cain and Abel offer gifts to the Lord. And Cain brings to God what he wants to bring, what he chooses to bring. But Abel brings a sacrifice that fits the pattern of what God did in the garden. And the Lord says to Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. But if you do not do well, then sin lies at the door. So Cain, in the very beginning, God had an expectation. He always has. He always will. And if we will come to him, he will save us. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, if you're living in adultery, repent or be lost. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Quit looking down on all these other moral sins when you're covetous. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will enter King, or inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds bleak, doesn't it? But here's the power of the gospel. The gospel, I know we're ready to go to that next phrase, but the gospel does not say that your behavior is just altered and you're always trying to run from it. That is not what the gospel says. You will not hear me say that we are sinners saved by grace. I know that's common in the church world. I was a sinner. I was saved by grace. But I do not find my identity in what I used to be because I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I understand that sin is a possibility for a saint, but it is not my identity. It is not my label. It is not the norm for a born-again child of God. And such were. And such were some of you. You used to be that, but now you're not. The power of God has changed you. You're a new creation. You've been washed, you've been sanctified. You were justified. That word means just as if you had never sinned. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by baptism and by the Spirit of our God by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is the good news. This is why what the angel told the shepherds matters in 2018 that it is not that Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem but when I was eight years old, Jesus 
was born in an eight-year-old boy, Daryl Johns, and he changed my life, and he has changed yours. Oh, let's praise him. Why don't we stand together right now, lift up our voices to the Lord and thank him for the power of the gospel, the good news that can change us, that will deliver us. While you're standing, one more verse. Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now you can go back and read Romans 5, 6, and 7 or 6 and 7 before this that speaks of the ethical struggle of man who shall deliver me from the body of this death. Paul is struggling against sin in his life. He doesn't know how to get free from it. The harder he tries, the behinder he gets. He's not able in his own ability to break free from that. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore because of what Jesus did. He was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent back his spirit in us. Amen? Amen. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you're living under a cloud of condemnation, then you're a child of God. First, you need to repent if there's sin residing in your life that you've not dealt with. God does not erase sin if you don't ask Him to forgive you of it. Forgiveness is not automatic. If any man sin, we have an advocate. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to confess our sins. But if you live in the best way you can and you're feeling condemnation, it is not from God. It's either your own mind condemning yourself out of regret or it is the devil who is the accuser of God's people trying to make you feel unworthy of the love of God. And Paul said it plainly under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. So my message to you today is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free. It is good news of great joy to all people and I could preach about great joy in all people. But right now, I just want to assure you that this Christmas season, God has given us news that is life-changing. And that is eternity-altering. If you need the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, He is here today to forgive you. You say, well, I don't have the power to do the right thing. Well, He has the power, remember? But he will not force your will. Not now, one day he will, but not now. 
One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In case you're wondering why I said that. But right now he will not force your will. But you can bow your heart to him. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. Today we're prepared to baptize you in Jesus' name. The Lord will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He will change your life forever. As we come into the Christmas season, I felt led of the Lord to start this whole thing by reminding us of the greatest news that ever came to us, came through the birth of Jesus Christ. Behold, I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. If you need that kind of news today, I want you to join our church family when we come pray at this altar. We're going to step out from where we are. We're going to gather at the very front of our church. We call this our altar area. It's a place where the old dies and the new is born. Would you join me right now?